Welcome to Armenian Alliance Conversations. I'm Manyak Sakian. My guest today is Patil Tutunjan. She's the creator of a YouTube channel called The Armenian Traveler and the founder of Tatik Streetwear. Tatik Streetwear showcases the work of Armenian designers who create designs with Armenian themes for clothing. Ms. Tutunjan creates videos in Armenia and in Armenian communities around the world. She has used her videos to promote the good work of Armenian organizations, such as Bright Armenia, One Armenia, and Hike Armenia. She's also dedicated to freely promoting interesting Armenian businesses and highlighting the work of Armenians who are doing amazing things in Armenia and other countries. Patil Tutunjan studied social science at the University of Toronto. She graduated from Seneca College of Applied Arts and Technology with an advanced degree in marketing. She worked in marketing positions for various companies before she volunteered for Birthright Armenia in 2019. She founded Tatik Streetwear in 2020. Since her YouTube channel began in January 2021, Mr. Tunjan has produced 162 videos, which have more than 340,000 views. Mr. Tunjan is also a serious chess player. Patil, Welcome, and thank you for joining us today. It's my absolute pleasure. I love this intro. <laughs> Please tell us about your Armenian heritage and the Armenian communities that you relate to. So I personally was born and raised in Aleppo, Syria. So um, there is a huge Armenian community there, a very strong one. And my whole life, I grew up in that community, in a sense, kind of in a bubble in, in Aleppo. So I went to an Armenian school. I went to Armenian, you know, you mentioned chess. So to, I played for an Armenian team and everything I did was with the Armenian community. Um, so I, my family and I actually immigrated to Canada in, in 2011, actually about 10 years ago. Well, not 11 years ago. Um, and it was interesting for me because I found out that being in Canada, being Armenian is, it looks very different than being Armenian in Syria because, uh, it almost felt like I got to be Armenian on, you know, on the weekends and, um, during, during Christmas and during celebrations and during holidays, because, I got there when I was 17, so it was already the age where you're looking for employment, the, the you know university and college. So it wasn't necessarily as in a bubble as it was in Syria, which is what kind of really opened up my eyes after living there for 10 years and, and working and studying that I didn't realize initially that change. I mean, I felt it. I just didn't know what it was. I couldn't put my finger on it. You know, when you're immigrating to a new country, you have different priorities that you're focusing on in more survival mode in a sense. So at one point when I was kind of more comfortable, I opened up my eyes and I knew I wasn't feeling as fulfilled as I, I used to. And I really started digging into what was the reason for it. So that's when I realized maybe because... I don't get to be Armenian every day as much as I did back home in, in Syria. So uh, I realized that every single time I said my name to my coworkers or my last name, the next question would be, oh, what's that name? In, in what language is that? What's your background? And you kind of become in a way an ambassador to, to being Armenian. And you carry that weight of telling the story of what what it means to be Armenian and why are you Armenian, but you're born and raised in Syria? Because all my coworkers thought I was Syrian from Syria, which is 
factually accurate and correct, but I'm also Armenian. So that's when I kind of started doing a bit of a soul searching, let's call it, and um, really felt like I needed to change course correct in a way. Um, So I was doing some research into how can I do that? And that's when the Birthright Armenia opportunity came. You immigrated from Aleppo, Syria in 2011 with your family. And then as we all know, in March 2011, there was a brutal war in Syria, and it's um, still going on after um, 12 years. It is a civil war. And the UN Refugee Agency reported in May 2002 that there are more than 6.5 million Syrians who left the country because of the war. And among these refugees are thousands of Armenians. So did you and your family leave Syria because of the war? So it was definitely something that we had plans for uh, beforehand. I think that the war kind of rushed it towards the end, uh, that we kind of didn't finish up some projects that we wanted to before leaving, but uh, we had everything kind of planned for before it it had started. So uh, we were in that sense um, blessed to have that opportunity. And I know many Armenians have followed after Uh, And you notice that difference when I was back there in October, November of this past year, um, you notice the difference of the, you know, the numbers, sheer numbers, let's say, in the Armenian community. Uh, But I was still glad to see the survival and the thriving of the Armenian community in in many cases, actually. Uh, But it's definitely a tough situation. So you mentioned birthright Armenia, and you said that the experiences that you had in Canada led you um, to Birthright Armenia. And I think Birthright Armenia is a fantastic organization that has the potential to actually change the lives of younger Armenians in the diaspora, because all of the Birthright Armenia alumni that I have spoken to say that their relationship to Armenia has changed entirely after joining Birthright Armenia. So if you could tell us little bit more about your experiences in birthright armenia yeah it actually that statement is absolutely correct i think it changes your relationship to armenia and your relationship to your own armenianness in multiple ways so i'll kind of try, try to explain it in words and i think that's why i do many 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 videos with birthright armenia because one kind of sentence or one video isn't enough to explain what that looks like so for me on a personal level it did a few things um it allowed me to be Armenian in my day-to-day life. So I kind of put that ambassadorship to a side and really discovered who I am uh, and what is my relationship with myself and my relationship with the people around me without having that kind of uh, waiting for the holiday to be Armenian or waiting for the... So that kind of was one aspect to it. On another level, it really allows you... I've never lived in Armenia before doing Birthright Armenia. So that was... I've been here before. I've done the whole like typical two week going to Khorvirap type of trip with my family. But when I was very, very young, so I just remember pictures. um, I never really lived an adult life in Armenia. So coming here and really just doing the day to day things like grocery shopping, going to work, you're really immersing yourself and integrating into the day to day life of Armenia, which allows you to see Armenia with the lens of this is a real country with real everyday lives with, you hear this thing, everybody says like, 
oh, everybody is Armenian in Armenia, because when you're coming from the diaspora, that could be a new concept to you. Like, what does it mean to be surrounded by Armenians? So you really kind of put on a different hat and you start defining what is the work you do on day to day basis and how does that impact the the country? Because when you're working, so when I when I had, let's say, my marketing job in Canada, I was making an impact in a company every day here every work you do impacts the the entire country and you feel very much a different sense of fulfillment and with birthright specifically it opens the doors for you to enter homes and workplaces and different you know aspects of the country that if you come as a tourist you just simply wouldn't do these things you wouldn't go to someone's home to have a family dinner you know um the homestay aspect of it the job site the job site aspect of it um for me i also kind of tried to do a bit of a career change when i came here which allowed me to finally try it out and see i i thought what about teaching do i like teaching but in other countries, it's hard to kind of change the trajectory of your career in that very, very flexible way. So here I got the opportunity to do that. And I tried out teaching for two months. And I said, you know what, it's not for me, I miss marketing, let's go back into marketing. And literally the next week, I was at a different job site at a marketing agency doing marketing. So it really allows you to discover a yourself and and discover the country in multiple different levels and layers, I guess. You said exactly what I have said before about Birthright Armenia, that it allows you to basically experience Armenia in the real way that people are living their lives. Um, Also, another thing I want to mention that you said that you do many videos with Birthright Armenia as an alumni. It's fantastic because the organization kind of opens the door for you to have a lifetime relationship with them as opposed to participating in a program and saying oh that's good and then you know the next group of people comes along so it becomes like a community a kind of, and also like a networking group you know i've seen some of the videos that you've done with birthright armenia members and i and i'm like wow you know what a fantastic networking group this is because the people who who join birthright armenia are absolutely fantastic people I'll take it. I'll take the compliment. It's interesting because there is an interview process and there is, um, you know, kind of an application process, just like any other organization or program that you're applying to. At the end of the day, when Birthright is accepting you as a volunteer there, um, there's a lot of, you know, opportunities that they're opening up for you. They're vouching for you to go to this job site and be an employee. So you're kind of passing through all those like references that you would need when you're you're applying for a job. They're applying for that job for you. And by job, I mean, it's a job site. It's a volunteer work. They're, they're uh, providing with the host family. They're putting you into someone's home. And, um, you know, so there's, there's a lot of aspects to it. And one more thing I forgot to say, um, a lot of people ask me, I'm afraid of being by myself when I come to Armenia. Like, how would you make this change? And doing it through Birthright Armenia, instantly, the second you land, there's someone that picks you up from the airport. The next day you're at orientation in the office and you already are with a group. And the people that you do orientation with, you have a different bond with, but you end up bonding with everybody. And it also allows you to see Armenians from around the world. Like in my group, I had an Armenian from Japan, an Armenian from Dubai, Lebanon, Argentina. Where else in my life I would have met someone from Ar- Ar- an Armenian from Argentina, unless I go to Argentina and meet someone from there. So 
this really opens your eye to the different dimensions of Armenians that we have around the world and kind of like uh, widens your perspective in, in a positive way. Absolutely right. And that's something else that people have uh, mentioned before as one of the positive aspects of these organizations taking young people to Armenia is you have all these different Armenians from different Armenian communities gathering in one place. And it's, I mean, it's amazing. Absolutely. You started Tatik Streetwear before you started your YouTube channel. What is Tatik Streetwear or Tatik, as you say, and <laughs> what inspired you to create a clothing company that is operating with independent designers? Yeah, so actually it's interesting because both Dadik Street, I say Dadik because I speak Western Armenian, uh, which I also find very interesting in my videos when I say a word in Western Armenian. This is the beauty of our diversity too, right? So um, when I, both of those platforms or both of those ideas or projects kind of started on the same premise. So uh, in March of 2020, um, I was just going to, Ar to uh, Canada to visit my family, um, leaving Armenia just on a vacation. And then everything ended up happening. The world shuts down. And that's when I kind of, when we started realizing that this is not a, a week thing or a two week thing, like we thought it might be, um, I started thinking, what should I be doing? Because at that point we were working remotely. Um, later on, the offices opened up in Armenia. So I still had, I actually worked for Birthright Armenia after being a volunteer. So that's the job I was doing remotely for Armenia. When I realized that, you know, I still don't know when I'm going to be able to get on a flight and go back. Um, I thought to myself, it's best for someone in Armenia to have this job. And it kind of felt reversed and weird to be, you know, having a job from Armenia and taking a position away from someone who is living here. Um, and also the type of impact you make by being here is different than remotely doing the job. So that's when I said, okay, I need to kind of give this uh, position up to someone else and then see what I could be doing. The, the thought of me maybe going back to a job in Canada again or maybe to my previous life kind of was not, it didn't feel right to me. Um, so I thought, what is, what is a way for me to continue being Armenian every day, work with Armenians every day? And also the whole idea of putting the designs on streetwear that you wear on your day-to-day -day life, kind of reinforcing the fact that it's not either you wear the full-on formal dadas or you can't wear something that has an Armenian, you know, splash on it, right? So that's where I kind of, I met a lot of those designers and artists in Armenia. And these art artists, they have other full-time jobs as, whether it's as graphic designers, some of them are architects. And, um, and they don't have necessarily the time and the capacity to work on the business side of things they want to create so i said you know what i don't know how to create i know how to do the business part of things so let's team up and it started with one artist the second artist and that's how it turned into kind of my full focus of this is what i'm doing now and you know this is this is what i do and it grew the community just kept growing and now there's a lot of different armenian artists from a lot of different uh, countries which is the whole premise of I try to have that idea in everything I do and have different Armenian voices expressing themselves from different places in the world in every project that I do. I think Dadik Streetwear is um, so fantastic because when you go on the website, it's sort of like mini collections in a way because you see that these particular pieces were designed by this particular artist and then those particular pieces were designed by another artist so it kind of 
gives you the sense of this is almost like a work of art. You know, you're, you're really, you're not buying clothing from like an anonymous brand and they have many anonymous people, you know, um, designing things, you know who they are and you're actually buying a work of art and it's on a t-shirt and it's wearable, you know? So it's, um, and it's great because isn't it better to have art that you sort of utilize every day as opposed to something that goes on the wall, if you know what I mean? And that's what I kind of say, kind of like a, like a wearable art piece. And um, it's very important for me, that aspect of it, that every artist gets a collection page. So I have a lot of uh, customers who come in that are a follower of that artist specifically. They're a fan of their work. They just, you know, maybe they already have a poster of them, but they want to wear something that uh, on their day-to-day, in their day-to-day life. And that's why it's important for me. And then you have the cross, kind of the cross recognition in a sense as well, because they have uh, this artist that they follow, so they come onto the website, but then they find this other art, other artist that has a similar, you know, style that they enjoy, and they read their bio, and they like their work, and they say, you know what, I do want to support this artist, and most of the orders that come in actually have a combination of the different artists, which makes me very happy, because that's the whole point of it, is bringing them into one place, and a lot of times people talk about the fact that these pieces become conversation starters in their workplace or wherever they go. And especially during the war, we did this huge donation campaign where we had about 60 artists just joining in and donating their artwork just to kind of get the word out there. And and it wasn't just about the financial donation part of it, but it was also the fact that people were wearing these in on there because at the time people were still doing conferences on Zoom and, uh, you know, like going to work or working from home or whatever, home or whatever the case may be. And uh, a lot of times people were asking them, what does your T-shirt say? What does this represent? And that was becoming an awareness piece as well, which was also important. And I think it still is important. As you mentioned, Dottie Streetwear has raised money for Armenian causes. Please tell us more about that. So as soon as the war started, um, what we actually did is we just turned the entire platform into a donation and awareness platform. Um, at that point, like it, that was the very important, the most important thing for us. So um, every, you know, 100% of everything that was in that donation collection, which had over 60 artists was getting donated. So over $80,000 was donated. And again, it wasn't just about the amount. And it's a very, it's a one, one person operation. I tried to do my best. It's a very small platform. And I know the impact, um, you know, everybody was trying to do their impact as much as within their capacity. Um, so it, it, that's why I kind of also think about the fact that unity that it brought us together. And uh, I got to meet all these people in, in different communities that otherwise maybe I haven't met. And we were talking with each other and we're trying to come up with every single way to make a larger noise and tell people about what was going on and make an impact in terms of sending funds to Armenia and Artsakh. So I think that's kind of it. At that point, everything else stopped. And that was kind of the main focus that we were going on. And I say we because Yes, it's 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 just me when it comes to the business side of things, but it was the artists that were every day I was waking up, there's five, six more designs being donated and I'm rushing into putting everything into production and getting them out and just to make things go as, as quickly as possible. I think that's wonderful. If everyone does their part, as they say, it makes a huge impact collectively. I agree, yep. Your YouTube channel does not really make any money and you don't expect it to make a significant amount of money. 
Most people who have never produced videos do not realize how much time and effort it takes to shoot and edit a video. Thank you. (laughs) Yes, it's true. So why did you start a YouTube channel? And how did the content of the channel evolve from the earliest videos to today? Yeah, so actually there's like lots of different stages that the YouTube channel went through, which is interesting because I sometimes forget because you're to your point, it takes so much time and you're so consumed. Uh, for now, I try to do one to two videos a week, uh, two in special occasions when there's like a two episode special or something like that. Uh, I also try to do lives on the on the on the channel because I think it's important to also kind of have the community together talking in the live chat and asking me questions and seeing my surroundings in in real time. Uh, a lot of times people don't realize that a video that is being posted has only been shot a week ago. It's not like an old video or anything like that. Um, so in that sense, okay, so the even initial initial, early stages of why I even opened the YouTube channel was because uh, my Instagram was very much targeted um, during the war. So I was doing a lot of interviews with Armenian businesses, Armenian organizations, just on Instagram live. Um, And every other week I was dealing with uh, being hacked and my Instagram being reported and being shadow banned. and, And I know a lot of people can relate to this. If you were active during that time, your Instagram was targeted. So with that being said, Uh, My brother actually told me, why don't you just take all these videos, download them because they're very important interviews. You are amplifying the voices of these Armenian organizations. Just download them to have them safely upload them into YouTube. It's so much harder for someone to target your YouTube and, and, you know, shut it down in a sense. So that's what I started doing. And then I kind of just left it alone. While I was doing that, I was already planning on coming back to Armenia because, you know, the... The, the flights were open again and the world was opening up. So I booked my flight and on the way to Armenia, a lot of people, when I was telling them, oh, yeah, I'm going to Armenia next week or in two weeks or whatever, they were saying, what, what do you mean? Like, can you fly during this time? Can you, How does that work? And, and so many questions. So I thought, you know what? Let me just literally take a selfie video while I'm on the way here. So I was kind of giving updates. Um, okay, now I'm at this airport and this is what it looks like. Yes, this is shut down. This is open. This is the process. This is the requirement. And even the simple things is like, what's the requirement to get into Armenia? What are the visa? So I was just kind of giving an update on that. So I uploaded that video, not having much expectation from that. And you notice from my videos, they're not as edited as maybe like more professional, you know, vlog vloggers and travel vlogs. So I just put it out there. And then from there, there wasn't other questions. Okay, so did you rent a place? How does that look like? And how how much do things cost nowadays? And like all these questions. So my videos are kind of the result of the questions that I'm getting asked. And instead of answering privately in, in my DMs, let's let's say one by one, there's there's this question. So let's put them up there and and showcase what it looks like and and show and tell in a sense so that's what i started doing kind of just documenting the day-to-day life and the little things like what's open at 7 a.m what can you buy with 5,000 dirham what does that look like just to kind of also uh, alleviate some of the uh, maybe reservations some people have like they want to make that step but they just they need the visuals to visualize themselves doing it. And I get a lot of times now people tell me in Armenia, I run into them. They said, I came here because I saw your videos. And I was like, oh, great. Even my coworkers, the first time I came to Armenia, I remember they asked me like, do you have internet there? Like, how are we going to keep in touch with you? I'm like, the one way to kind of remove all these 
you know, not even stereotypes because they're not even real, but, you know, speculations is to show what life here looks like. So that's what I started doing. And then realizing that I will be kind of traveling a lot and going back to see my family and also slowly recognizing the fact that, you know what, like we should showcase the lives of Armenians in different countries as well, in different Armenian communities around the world. Um, So that's what I started doing when I went to Lebanon. Obviously, there's a huge Armenian community there as well. So I made videos with me being there. So that's how it kind of all started. Um, And to your point, it's a very slow, slow growth. uh, But I understand that. And I'm I'm patient with that. I'm I'm kind of working three jobs right now to like, I'm not necessarily relying on the YouTube uh, per se, but I also think it's it's great if at one point we look for YouTube for support instead of, you know, looking for each other for support. And that would be why not? It's it, it would be great. But it's it's important to kind of amplify these communities and showcase the diverse communities that we have around the world. I think you're a victim of doing something so well because the best videos on YouTube, unfortunately, don't have as many views as the dumb <laughs> videos about pranks and, um, you know, unboxing things and what have you. So you're a victim of your own success. <laughs> what I like about your channel, since you me- since you mentioned it, I, w- I was going to mention this as well, um, but you uh, brought it up, is um, w- the videos where you're presenting life in Armenia from the perspective of a traveler or an immigrant, basically someone who is coming to the country from somewhere else and they have to figure out how life in Armenia works. Not everyone has people in Armenia that they can reach out to answer questions and give advice. That's why my favorite videos are the ones where you're talking about things like how to rent an apartment in Armenia. You did a fantastic video called Ultimate Guide to Budget for Your Trip to Armenia, which I think is an essential guide for anyone traveling to Armenia. Um, You did a video about your experiences in the healthcare system in Armenia, which I thought was extremely informative. You have shown us supermarkets and food bazaars, shopping malls, restaurants, gyms, and so forth. You recently did a video with a birthright Armenia volunteer who does not speak Armenian and is living in Gyumri with the host family. So I actually really like the fact that you said these are your favorite videos and these are the ones you kind of highlighted because these are the exactly like I mentioned in the beginning, the direct result of the questions I get. So a lot of times before I go to a, a country, I say, what are, what are the things that you want to see in this country or what are the questions you have? And when I'm talking about Armenia, the top questions I have is what should I do if I don't speak Armenian? Can I still come if I don't speak Armenian? And the other thing is, like you mentioned, is not everybody has that community. It's not everybody's in in these Facebook groups because they they exist uh, where you get to ask questions like, hey, guys, I'm looking for an apartment for this that not everybody has access to this specifically if it's your first time coming and you're coming for a month or you're coming for two weeks. Um, And a lot of times the resources that are in Armenia are the people. So it's uh, the word of mouth is kind of the number one thing that kind of goes here. So I decided to be the word of mouth in on behalf of the community and just kind of um, say the answers that people are asking me. So I'm glad that you find these 
interesting because to your point, I can't see myself necessarily filming something, one of those viral videos or following the trends or things like that. I try to play with the YouTube algorithm as much as I can, because at the end of the day, I do want as much people, as many people to see the message that we're putting out there. It's important, Uh, but I just can't see myself kind of faking it in a sense. Like I need to do what I'm, I'm dedicated in doing. And then if YouTube picks it up, great. And if not, I I move on to the next video. I, I, it's rare that I look back too much to like, how did this do? And, and did this do well? And why did this do this way? Like the important part for me is to say the messaging and put it out there. And then whoever's looking and searching for it, hopefully YouTube will show them, show it to them. I think we also need to acknowledge that not everyone has traveled to Armenia recently. Mm-hmm. If someone has been to Armenia 10 years ago or even 20 years ago or never, it's not the same Armenia today as it was. And that's just how it is around the world. Communities change. And yeah. so the things that you can expect to see in Armenia today were just not there 20 years ago. Absolutely. There are some things that will surprise you very pleasantly like there are some technology here that i don't like i never i've never seen and maybe i'm not very tech savvy i don't know but for me for example the whole qr code payment system of like Ethereum, and this is not a plug this is not an ad but you literally get your receipt and you just scan it and you pay and it's done and you don't even and like there's credit cards like people ask me are there credit cards and i'm like yes there's credit cards there's banks there's all of it so it's um it changes even for me that i come to Armenia like for a year, two years at a time and go back for a couple of months, I come back and things are changed. So just imagine if you haven't been here for a while, you will be pleasantly surprised. Eric Kakopian was actually saying the same thing as well. He said, the questions that I get from Armenians in the diaspora are just incredible. (laughs) Um, But, you know, honestly, I don't blame people for asking those questions because I was in Armenia 20 years ago in 2000, and it was just radically different at that time in terms of what was available and what there was in, let's say, 2010 and then today. You know, Armenia has progressed in such a rapid way. It really is an incredible success story. I agree, yeah. And I think, and that's the thing, we can't approach these questions in a form of blaming or shaming. And that's why when I get these questions, my reaction is to make a video because there's, I I can't blame you for not knowing something if there's no exposure about it. So what I take on is, and I know it's a drop in a bucket, the exposure that I'm kind of giving. And I think to your point, if we all do it, and I love it when people are here, no matter for how long, for whatever reason, because everybody's experience of visiting Armenia would look different. And I think it should be that way. Not We shouldn't have identical experiences of coming to Armenia. Um, so I think every time people come and they're filming everything and they're putting up in their Instagram stories, all of our platforms matter. And I think it's important to document those and, and share it to the world. I know so many people who actually their Instagram accounts were not even active before coming to Armenia. They come in there, they feel the sense of duty. Like I need to share back, even if I have three followers or 
3,000 followers or 300,000 followers, I need to post a story about what the day-to-day life looks like. And you would be surprised with the decor of the cafes and the amount of services and the diversity of things that exist. So the only thing I can do is just show. I can't. Nobody can shame anybody for asking a question because it's the same for me if I haven't been to a different country. And maybe I'll have these types of questions. So that's all we can do. And that's why your videos are so amazing because you can see these things, you know, pictures worth a thousand words, as they say. Yeah. So what are some of your favorite videos that you have done? So it's actually very interesting you asked that because I always think about that. For me, it's when I'm filming something, usually I don't expect that it will like more people will watch it. They, these and like the more simple ones, like the what's open at 7 a.m. It's my t- most viewed video that morning. I woke up very early. It was like 530 a.m. Went for my run, came back. I'm like, hmm, since I'm up now, I should go film this because I know a lot of people ask that. And that took me not as long to film, not as long to edit. Um, and it ended up being something that people found useful. I got that kind of um fulfillment from it more and then there are the ones where i'm doing like an adventure i really enjoy actually filming those and i would think that more people would watch it and they end up not really watching it as much which is totally fine like i was saying but i also enjoy doing these as well so um and also being vulnerable i enjoy being vulnerable with the community that we're creating on youtube so when i did the zip lining i'm terrified of heights so i did it and i recorded me being scared and doing it and getting through it just to show the landscape in armenia so for me when i finished filming that even before i put it up and uploaded it on youtube and people watched it i was like I did this and I was vulnerable with the community and they're going to get to see that side of me. So I get kind of like a different sense of fulfillment from each video that I do. I watched the what's open at 7am video and I thought it was amazing. And of course the title draws you in because you're thinking what is open early in the morning in Armenia, you know, and, and, and it was a fantastic video. Thank you. I appreciate it. You traveled to Syria despite the civil war. So what was that experience like for you to travel to Aleppo after all of the devastation caused by the war? Um, So for me, obviously, it was very important to go back to Syria after 10 years of not being there. And obviously, that's where I grew up. And um, the one thing that was really important for me to be aware of emotionally was that I, at one point, I didn't know what to expect before I went there emotionally. And when I got there, I realized that it's not like Patil, the Armenian traveler there anymore. It's just Patil. Like I had to just be me. Um, And obviously there were a lot of unexpected, tragical things that happened to me on a personal level when I was there. So I put the camera away and that's where my focus was. Uh, But what I kind of compared it to in a sense before I went was Uh, when I went to Lebanon. So obviously they also had a tragedy back in August of 2020. um, And I went there in 2021, June, I believe it was. Um, And even though, and and I consider Lebanon a second home for me, we we used to go there every weekend when we were kids and from Syria, we had family there. So I still in a sense had that hat on of having this duty to report back what's going on with the Armenian businesses and feeling the sense of hope and camaraderie with them when I see the smile on their faces and showing like the best burger spot owned by an Armenian business and and all of these things with Arm with with Armenia I was gonna say with Syria I 
thought it might be similar to that, but when I got there, it wasn't. So I had to really take a moment and and soak it in and, and be present in the moment to see what it was. And I was mentioning that, you know, our house that has been there for 10 years and I haven't, you know, walked into my childhood bedroom. So just to kind of get through that experience and relive those moments and um, kind of take care of family in that sense and in, in family and personal matters, that's when it kind of all took a turn for me. And I was saying, um, not to mention the lack of internet that I had. So with all that being said, I am going to go back. Uh, I'm just working out the financial and the logistics aspects of things uh, to plan my visit back because there are direct flights from Armenia now, which is great. Um, so I can easily go and, and come back and kind of this time around do a more of a the Armenian traveler going and showing people my childhood school and, and childhood home, maybe do a little tour and what everything looks like. There are still a lot of Armenian businesses that it's important for us to support. Your videos are always beautiful and interesting in a really authentic, experiential way. When you're walking on the street in your videos, you're immersed in the life of wherever you are. And I feel like I'm right there with you. I want to talk about the power of video because showing people something has the greatest impact, as you have said. This is something that happens often where there will be an issue that exists for many years and no one is paying attention to it. Then it becomes the subject of a compelling documentary or a movie and all of a sudden everyone is talking about it. This is why Kirk Krikorian thought that there should be an epic big budget movie about the Armenian genocide. Because he was the owner of MGM Movie Studio for many years, he understood the power of film to reach people around the world. You are showing the people the things that make Armenia great, and of course, the other Armenian communities around the world, which most Armenians have not seen. Um, I definitely agree with the fact that showing is better than telling in a sense, so why not do both at the same time where we're showing and talking at the same time with the uh, you know, none of the places where I'm filming are sets. You know, everything is, whether it's a, a business, whether it's a, an adventure, whether it's a city that I'm showing or part of the city, it's always kind of, you know, it's showing real people walking behind me. And a lot of times you see people looking in the camera and everything. The reason why I enjoy the YouTube aspect of it is that it becomes this library. The way YouTube works and the algorithm of YouTube works, it's not, let's say, if I made a post on Instagram a year ago, it's it's disappeared. No one will search it. No one will see it again unless I keep talking about that aspect. With YouTube, what I really enjoy that it stays there. And let's say maybe someone is not even thinking about Armenia right now, whether they're Armenian or not Armenian. There's a lot of people that also watch my channel that are not Armenians that are just looking for the next place to travel. They just you know, they're just searching things. And one thing leads to another with YouTube. That's the interesting part is that it sometimes it suggests your content. And then you see this Armenian flag on the thumbnail and you're like, what is this place? What is this? And they start looking and they become a part of that community. And a lot of them now are saying, now Armenia is the next place that I'm going to be traveling. So with that being said, that's what I liked about the power of YouTube and how it kind of keeps this it's a library but it's not really a library it's a library that is timeless in a sense where where whenever sometimes you see one video is not not a lot of people are interested and they're not watching it right now and then a year later that video becomes out of nowhere popular because for some reason people are searching that so it's kind of cool for me to kind of 
get like all the answers to all the questions that I can think of, of someone that might search for it about Armenia or Armenian communities and leave it there and not worry about the time, timelessness of it, I guess. So it, it's there, you know? Um, so that's what I really enjoy about it. And I think that it gives us the, the exposure that we really need and the inform informative exposure that we really need in terms of having the awareness. Exactly right. And that brings me to my next question, which is that I want to talk about the enormous power and reach of social media, which includes YouTube. And people may not know these statistics, so I just want to mention them. YouTube has 14.3 billion visits a month from 1.7 billion users. That is more than Facebook, Instagram, and Wikipedia. Each user spends an average of 19 minutes a day on YouTube. 694,000 hours of video are streamed on YouTube every minute. For comparison, the largest subscription service, Netflix, has about 225 million subscribers, and it streams 452,000 hours of video per minute. I think everyone realizes the power of social media to reach people directly and immediately. People are increasingly getting their news and information exclusively from social media. Even influential people and public officials who have access to traditional forms of media are communicating to the public via social media. This is why I feel that your YouTube channel is such an important and positive project because the way to reach people is YouTube and other social media. Also, there is a troubling reality today that if a person doesn't have a social media account, their voice is silent while, for example, Azerbaijan's propaganda people are getting their negative messages out there unchallenged. I agree with that so much because I think we should be ahead of the game in the sense of putting the message out there and not being reactive, but being proactive and if you have something to say about Armenia and you have like this beautiful thing you want to show or, or just a re really real life day to day thing that you want to showcase or, or talk about or amplify the Armenian communities, just put it all out there. And that's how YouTube and like I was saying at the kind of coming back into full circle of how YouTube, my YouTube channel started was because I wanted to save these videos in a place where it's not as easily going to be shut down or reported or flagged or shadow banned or whatever. So that's how just putting, it's a bit more secure in that sense. So just having them there and whenever someone thinks about searching of something, it's there to see because the number of messages we have about Armenia out there, when you search Armenia to get down to the day-to-day -day types of things, it's, there's a lot of other news, you know, there's a lot of political news. There's a lot of um, news that other, you know, parties have put out there. So it's important for us to also speak our mind. And, and to your point, it is unfortunate that if you don't have the social media platform, I would say YouTube is much more um, accessible in the sense of, you know, what you search to, to look for and, and all of that. But uh, I also respect the choice that some people don't want to be on social media. And I, in a private matter, I don't, I don't, speak as much on social media but for me it's more about what the platform presents and the platform is the community that we're gathering together with all the audience that is there i also think that for example let's say if there's a media company in armenia 
that says, you know, we've seen your YouTube channel. You obviously have enormous talent. You know, we'd like to offer you a job for you to be one of our presenters and work for us full time. I really think that, again, you know, it's an unfortunate position to be in that the world is in right now, but it is what it is. And we have to work with the reality of the situation in that social media is just completely dominating the conversation and the culture. And I think that you would be better off, you know, being on YouTube than and continuing your channel rather than taking, as I said, hypothetically a job with a traditional media company because traditional media companies are taking their content to YouTube. That's actually interesting. You say that I've noticed that more and more, but even with that said, I, for me, my YouTube needs to be my perspective on the day-to-day life of someone who's a tra- like a solo traveler to these places and visiting to these places and giving my personal opinion. So I need to keep that authentic part of it. So even um, when it becomes to the financial aspects of life, uh, I choose the projects that I do very carefully, things that I, I'm aligned with uh, and feel authentic in doing. And if, even if I have a job Uh, as they say, nine to five in the US, but here it's 10 to seven, even if it's a 10 to seven job that I have, which uh, I currently do work for an organization, Hike Armenia, as you mentioned in the beginning, it's something that I do believing in it. I don't, you know, it's it's important for me to see you're spending nine hours working on a project and trying to push an organization to get more awareness and, um, you know, like get more people involved and grow a community it needs to be a community that I'm aligned with and it needs to be a community that, you know, has the same, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Same purpose in a sense, which is promoting Armenia. So whether that's from a hiking perspective, whether that's from a volunteering perspective with Birthright Armenia, whether it's, you know, my personal YouTube channel with the traveling aspect of things, at the end of the day, they all kind of uh, come to this kind of they have a mutual ground and that street or is the same way so I do feel that even though I'm working on multiple projects at the same day I'm going to bed thinking what can I do to empower the Armenian community and I can and when I come up with an idea I see which project that I'm working on where does it fit the most and then I uh, imply it there so that's that that needs to I need to stay authentic to that part of me because that's why I kind of left my nine to five job in Canada to to come here and work on these things. So I understand that financially, sometimes you kind of take a step back, you t- take a step forward, it fluctuates. But at the end of the day, for me personally, I realized that I need to have a purpose and work towards that purpose to feel fulfilled and go to bed being like, OK, I did this today instead of, you know, kind of checking off something the list. So it's uh, something off the list. You said something in one of your videos that really resonated with me. Because it's something that other people are saying as well. And this is a major conversation that is happening in the Armenian communities around the world right now. And what you said was that every person should be Armenian in their own way. But at the same time, you also said that you believe that people should have a daily relationship with their Armenian culture and their Armenian heritage. So Mm -hmm. if you could elaborate on that for us. Yeah, so I think defining what Armenianness, if that's even a word, looks like for you, um, it's not this package that you get and you cannot change it and it's not flexible. And, you know, you go to an art gallery today in Armenia and you see 
different artists and you know painting armenia you can give them the same you know corner or the same thing like paint gumri for example and you already see if there's five artists you see five different perspectives so i think it's important to have your own definition of what that looks like for you and respecting the diversity we have in the community and this is something i was saying during the war as well because i was doing probably three to four Instagram interviews uh, on a day-to-day basis. And you see people, like I mentioned right now, I, I got to experience, uh, you know, being Syrian Armenian. And then I got to experience being in Canada, Canadian Armenian, I guess. And now I'm in Armenia. So I've, I've experienced like three different types of being Armenianness and what that looks like in your day-to-day life. Um, realizing that it's important to have it in your day-to-day life and it's okay for each of our Armenianists to look different to each other and respecting that diversity. Today, if you bring five Armenians in a room, I cannot even tell you how many languages could be spoken in that room and using that to our advantage. How, what can we do to use that to our advantage? I go, before I came to, like when I went to um, Canada and I used to say, I speak three, three and a half languages, <laughs> not not good in French, but three, three languages, three different alphabets, they would say, oh my God, that's amazing. That's great. That's a lot of languages. You come to Armenia and the average person speaks four to five languages. You're like, oh, okay. That wasn't even, I guess, that big of a deal. Um, you know, you mentioned the playing of the chess. I thought that was one of my, you know, personality, like that's what defined me in a sense for a very long time. That's that was what I did. I played chess. And in Armenia, oh, everybody plays chess. And, you know, just being understanding that everyone has their different hobbies, their different interests, their different uh, exposed to different cultures, have traveled to different places and using those differences to our advantage and not to divide us. I think that's kind of the message that I always try to say. That's absolutely wonderful. And of course, it's something that we should acknowledge that you at your young age have already lived in three different Armenian communities in three different countries that are very different from each other. You know, Mm -hmm. it was Syria and then Canada and then Armenia. And I was thinking about how different these Armenian communities and countries are from each other. And so you have those amazing experiences. Growing up in in Syria, in that Armenian community that was very much kind of in a bubble, like I was mentioning, uh, it was a privilege to me that I got I got to grow up in that very strong Armenian community, and I got to see this one way of being Armenian in a sense. And then I went to Canada and got to see that way of being Armenian. And then when I came to Armenia, and the first second I landed and I went to that birthright Armenia uh, orientation, in the the way they do it is just so interesting. Even in the orientation, they ask you to tell a joke, to just break the ice. And just from hearing the different jokes that the people hear, you realize that if you have five people in this room, there's five very different stories. And we all ended up in this room. I like to end interviews with the question that inspires people to take action. You're currently working for an organization called Hike Armenia, as we mentioned. I think Armenia is the perfect country for hiking because it's mountainous. The nature of Armenia is stunningly beautiful. And there are ancient cultural heritage sites that are only accessible by hiking. Can you tell us what Hike Armenia does? 
So the main mission of Hike Armenia is to make Armenia a premier hiking destination. So what the organization does, it's an NGO um, and it's a non-for-profit organization. And the in, the mission of it is to actually create trails. They like scoping up the trails uh, that have this kind of eco-touristic, um, I, w- I don't want to say package, but experience in a sense, um, and create the trails in these places, maintain the trails and creating a trail has a lot more to it, a lot more goes to it than people can maybe think about or imagine. And marking the trails according to world, like world standards marking. Um, and then what that kind of, so then tying it in into the sites that are connected to that trail. So, uh, you know, whether it's churches or culture, cultural sites, um, along with accommodations or places to stay. So it's kind of like connecting you to let you know, okay, if you're going on this hike, there's these places that you can stay in. Um, so from that, there's a free app that anybody can download and in there, it shows you there's filters. So let's say if you're a beginner hiker and you just want to go on a day hike, or maybe you just have the weekend or one day off from, if you're working in Armenia or if you're traveling to Armenia, um, and you have one day hike, you can do a day hike, or you can do a loop hike, or you can do a five day hike. So there's different options by filtering and filtering the regions. You find the perfect trail for you. And you just kind of save that trail. You can even download it on as an offline in case, let's say you're not going to have data when you're out in the, you know, hiking on the trail. So you can download it to have the offline version and you go on a hike and you explore Armenia in a very different way. So not just Yerevan, but it really gives you that access, that resource to get out of Yerevan and, and going to different places, different regions and exploring them. Um, it shows you per trail. It shows you how to get there because that's another kind of, um, sometimes it's hard to find that information, like which uh, bus I should take, which taxi I should take, and how long it, it gets to take there. So it has all that information, the description per trail, and what to see per trail, and what to expect, and um, you know. So it just kind of allows you to explore Armenia in a sense. I think Hike Armenia is an amazing organization because again, it's all about promoting the beauty of Armenia and the beautiful natural resources that Armenia has. I think, bottom line, if you're a hiker, you should be hiking in Armenia. Exactly. And one thing that a lot of time, like, people ask us, like, when can I hike this trail or when can I hike that trail? The honest answer is you can hike it anytime because that's the whole purpose of the app is for you to hike it at your convenience. So it's you, your app. If you want to invite your friends, go for it. Sometimes I personally like to hike by myself. I like to be out there in the nature by myself and just kind of absorb the different elements. And everybody has different work schedule. Everybody has different schedule of how long they're visiting Armenia for how long they're here. Why are they here? And, you know, when can they go on a hike? So that's it. You just download the app. And uh, we were talking to this hiker that came in um, with his wife to Armenia and hiked uh, for many of the trails, actually. And his kind of uh, slogan for it was that just call a taxi and go on a hike. Cause, and I really liked it because that's exactly what it is. You just call a taxi or however you're going to get there and then you just go on the hike. Our viewers can visit the Dadik Streetwear website to purchase unique Armenian-themed clothing that is designed by Armenian artists. I highly recommend Patil's YouTube channel called The Armenian Traveler. It's incredible that the channel started in 2021, and in that relatively short period of time, you have produced such a variety of high-quality, interesting videos that show the places you have traveled, interesting people that you have interviewed, life in Armenia, and so much more. 
Thank you so much. That means a lot. And and just putting it into numbers and, uh, you know, hearing you describe it, it makes me very happy because that's exactly what I kind of envision. And, and it, it makes me happy that it is being perceived in that way. And uh, people are finding it useful and, and also hopefully enjoying it. <laughs> Patil, thank you for joining us today. I also want to thank our viewers for watching. It's my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for all the viewers as well. My guest today is Patil Tatunjan, creator of the Armenian Traveler YouTube channel and the founder of Dadi Streetwear, joining us today from Yerevan, Armenia.